0: Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcast app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, my name is James Wallner. This is an off-season or standalone episode about something different. Some of you may recall that last year I did some interviews with podcast producers from around the globe. One of those producers is Alison Sandy, one of a team of journalists working at the news organization named Seven News in Australia. Their podcast titled The Lady Vanishes is about Marion Barter who went missing in 1997 at the age of 51. When I spoke to Allison last year, they were just about to begin an inquest into Marion's disappearance. It's over a year later now, and the Lady Vanishes podcast has been downloaded about 12 million times, and there are a whopping 40 episodes to binge. And some very exciting things have been happening in that story, and I thought it was about time to check in again with Allison to talk about what's been going on in that case. Now you know how I sometimes say at the beginning of an episode, hey, if you've not listened to XYZ, you should go back and listen first or this won't make sense? I'm not saying that this time. Even if you've not listened to a single episode of The Lady Vanishes, I say listen in on this interview with Allison anyway. Sure it won't all make sense maybe, but you'll get most of it. And I'm confident that you'll want to start listening to the podcast afterwards. In my opinion, it's one of the most fascinating true crime stories ever to be told in a podcast. In fact, if it weren't for the podcast, just about nobody would know about this case, and missing Marianne Barter's daughter, Sally Layden, would still be without any answers whatsoever. So, let's get into it. Here's Alison Sandy of 7 News in Australia, speaking to me about The Lady Vanishes podcast. Alice and Sandy, it's a pleasure to see you again. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us on Dakota Spotlight.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you, James, for being such a supporter.
0: You bet. Um, I'm so happy to talk to you again. I spoke with you a year ago in July, right before the inquest was going to start. And uh, so some of my listeners know about your story, but of course... A lot of them don't know this story. The lady vanishes. So let's bring them up to speed just in the general terms. I'll I'll sort of, I'll try and you correct me as I go along here. So it's a missing persons case in Australia, in Eastern Australia. And Marion Barter was 51, I believe, when she told her adult children, son and daughter, that, hey, I'm making some life changes here. She was divorced She said, I'm going to go on a trip around the world or on a a trip for a few months. And basically, it made some bigger changes. Like she sold her house kind of suddenly. And I think the adult kids uh, were kind of like, okay, you go, mom, if this is what you want to do. But she never came back. Or yeah, she is missing since 19, was this in 96? 97. 97. I was close. Yes. So, (laughs) um, So it's a missing persons case. And- You guys have been working on this for three years, and I wanted to talk to you about I wanted to get back on get you back on Dakota Spotlight because in my opinion, this is just a perfect example of how powerful podcasts are. And you know, you don't talk about it a lot on your on The Lady Vanishes. It comes up, but it's very clear to me, and I want the world to know, who people don't know, that this case, first of all, you're getting close to answers, we think. Or you think and this would have not have happened without the podcast say what you want about all your supporters but this would have not happened without the podcast basically because and i'm going to let you pipe in here in a second is she was not even considered a missing person when you started this show or this uh season correct
1: that's correct so when we started three years ago in 2019 They didn't. There wasn't a case because they didn't believe it was any crime had been committed, and she wasn't considered missing, and she wasn't on the missing person register. So we were starting from from scratch. A lot of these cold cases, they have an inquest, or there's a body, or there, you know, something's happened, and and somebody's already looked into it at least in in. you know some elaborate detail, and being able to draw on an inquest is is great because you have all the documents and all the people, the relevant people have been spoken to. We didn't have any of that, so we had to start from scratch. Luckily, um, Marion's daughter Sally had an amazing portfolio, I guess for want of a better word, of information and documents. And um, initially, when I got involved because I specialise in freedom of information, I was You know, I got involved for that purpose to help her with a Freedom of Information application because they weren't giving her any information or any valuable information. It was mostly redacted. And then do the external review. But of course, as you know, um, media driving the public eye, um, that public, I guess, uh, spotlight on any of these sorts of situations really helps to, um, I guess... (sighs) you know, address the issues because there's nothing – there's nowhere to hide. And so after speaking to all the relevant people and getting a lot of information out there and certainly – it hasn't been perfect. I mean, we've we had this we've had this saying, you know, a no stone left underturned. So we've chased every rabbit down every hole, and there've been a lot of wrong holes and a lot of wrong rabbits. Um, and certainly, um, you know, people can always be critical, always in hindsight. And you know, we get overwhelming positive um, reviews, but then there's the people like, well, how? Why didn't you know that somebody would put an ad in the paper that would be a false name? Like, you know, everyone does that. Well. I don't do that. So, I don't, you know, this is not in my, you know, I, I don't live in that world where, yeah. you know, um, I should be considering this. You know, we're journalists. We cover things. We report things. And um, so, from our perspective, we that's what we do. We just keep Un, you know looking under rocks and and chasing everything that we can so um, so yeah sure there could have been things that we did differently but this is our first murder potential murder investigation and um, and disappearance that we've kind of instigated ourselves and and relied upon people to advise us you know we don't have criminal criminology degrees or or uh, a police detective um Experience and certainly, um, what we've learned is, in a lot of these cases, that um, when a conclusion is drawn at the beginning, it's really hard to convince authorities that that conclusion is wrong. Um, So you're really um, shovelling, for want of a better, another better word, um, the proverbial uphill, trying to uh, trying to get them to say, well, actually, maybe maybe we were wrong. Maybe we need to
0: Hello dear listener, this is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes, get the episodes early, and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details.
1: Consider this. 40
0: episodes later and 12 million downloads. Is that about right?
1: We're up to 13 million. Um, Every time we put out a a couple more episodes, we sort of go up a million, which is nice.
0: (laughs) That's incredible. I mean, I heard you say in one of the episodes that you had a documentary team, a TV documentary team with you. Will there be, can you comment? Will there be a film documentary? There's got to be.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we're working on that basis. So, I mean, it's still going and, and, you know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, we're in conclusion. Uh, but absolutely, um, that is the plan. So, um, we, try to get as much footage now with what we do because obviously being a podcast you don't generally do that it's just looking at audio so now we're just ramping up but being a television company that I work for um we with the seven network we we have been filming as well but not as much as we are now
0: (laughs) so but you guys have done a phenomenal job and to give my listeners a little more perspective here Let's look at some of the milestones that happened. Um, so first of all, you got her help to get her back on the missing persons list, right? Eventually, law enforcement said, all right, she's missing. How did that go down?
1: Well, it, it, was, a, it was a hard fought, I can tell you. And um, part of the reason we were able to do it is um, because of the support um the power of the people, I guess. and that's one great thing that podcasts can really do. So we had this phenomenal amount of support and we had um, a group, a, a very tight-knit group that they call we call Sally's angels I guess who 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 were around and really helped get um, a petition underway. Um, Jen Marsh is um, has been the instigator of that. and just every time anyone would post, on any of our um, Facebook or anything like that, Jen would send them a message, please sign our petition, you know. And, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like just those little things that, you know, when we're writing the podcast and Sally's trying to, you know, is overwhelmed with everything that's happening and um, it just to have people like that who yeah. take on those tasks is just um, so important. So, the, yeah, so we got that – um, or on the missing persons register, it was um, and I don't know what it's like in the US, but we feel like it, we had to drag authorities kicking and screaming to see it from the point of view with the facts painted, yeah. um, or, or you know, sort of in front of them saying that well, yeah, she she fits the definition, and we also had to point out that. Um, the main thing was pointing out that nobody actually spoke to her at the time, that it was all kind of Chinese whispers that um, that someone had contacted Marion and she said she wanted to to um, go off on her own volition and, and, you know, start a new life. And again, even if that was true, um, it's been, you know, 25 years. So, it you know, it, I'm sure... Even if you did want to start a new life, it doesn't mean it—it's meant to be forever, right? So that was our argument, and and yeah, and of course, um, from there on, we've seen we've uncovered a lot of, uh, you know, uh, untoward behavior, and and um, yeah. How did you
0: and Sally get the information that Marion might have come back, and under the new under this new names uh, and passport, saying she was now. A housewife in Luxembourg.
1: Okay, so that was through the police, Um, and uh, and that that had been revealed to Sally. um, Like it hadn't been that long, um, and I guess that was to support the police's argument that she went missing of her own volition. That she changed her name, she um, you know sold her house, she moved you know went over to Luxembourg, and that's what uh, happened to. Uh, you know, indicate that, that you know, support their theory that she just wanted to start a new life without a family and and she had the right to do that. And so her, um, as a result, they justified also that Sally couldn't receive any of the documents about her because in their eyes she was still alive. But of course there's supposed to be a proof of life check done and there has to be some, you know, as a result, proof of life. Um, And, of course, when we did it and they did it, they found that there was nothing that could support um, the theory that she was alive.
0: And the name she had adopted was very rare. And so the next big milestone is one of your, I think you call them super sleuths, but one of your listeners, I believe, got on board and started looking, I guess, online or for newspaper articles, whatever – for this name Remakel or now you're pronouncing it another way I guess <laughs> it's like
1: remarkable. Um, yeah well because <laughs> we we're, we're going on uh, I think it was um the in the inquest the um person who had used that name fraudulently said that we were pronouncing it wrong. He pointed out that we're pronouncing it wrong, Remarkle, which is interesting because the name he's now using, he has pronounced two different ways. So it was interesting that Remarkle was, he was very poignant or um, wanted to, um, you know, very, uh, I guess, deliberate in in the way that's pronounced, but not not his current name.
0: This uh, super sleuth uh, finds this advertisement of a gentleman named, is it Ferdinand Remarkle, looking for love, basically. And it's such an uh, uncommon uncommon name that it takes you off on this journey to Luxembourg yourself, which we talked about the last time I interviewed you. You knock on this person's door, and he seemed very uncooperative, also when you interviewed him later or tried to talk to him on the phone. And I remember us talking about that last time, and it's like this. This, you know, I'm thinking this has to be. Th- well, it doesn't have to be, but this guy's. Is, why is he not cooperating more? And now we've learned he himself was a victim of identity theft. And a couple years later, now or another year later, you've just gone through this long inquest. I think you guys originally said you'd have one episode after the first week and one episode after the second, and then it turned out to be much bigger than that. And also, I, I I kind of laughed in one of your the last conversation episodes you had that you said I don't even know what number this is anymore. <laughs> like we're beyond keeping, you know. It, it's it really is fascinating this whole thing. But you, can you just tell us about what what you've uncovered here about this Mister Bloom or Blum or how many names does he have and who is this character? He is so aggravating to listen to his responses in the inquest. Um, Can you just bring my listeners up to speed a little bit?
1: (laughs) Okay, so the name that he stole was Fernand Nocolis Remarkle. And he's a real man in Luxembourg. It happened to be um, the the ex-husband of a woman that is potentially the only woman he seems to have really been fond of Um, I mean obviously he's been married for more than 40 years as well this um, Rick Blum who stole Fernand's name so what happened is we um, we had a uh, our main super sleuth Joni she found the ad on Trove and it was not an easy ad to find and you know to this day I still kind of scratch my head on how she managed to do it because um, when she put in the name Fernand Remarkle it might have even just been remarkable that she put in. She, um, she ended up not getting the hit with the name in its entirety. But then when she put spaces between the names, who thinks to do that, right? I mean, I, I think, well, that's remarkable. I mean, probably people who do this for a living. But she's just a a armchair detective, I guess, you know, fascinated with this sort of stuff. And she'd actually um, done searches in relation to a relative of hers, and that's how she knew how to do all these things. Anyway, a um, long-lost relative, I should say. Um, so when she did that, that's when she had the hit with the ad. So, again, chasing every rabbit down every hole, it would be remiss of us not to try at least the real Fernand Remakel, I mean – you know, a needle in the haystack. How do we know that it was a you know it was necessarily a fraudulent name that was used? Yeah. And um and track him down. And it it turns out there was a connection between the real Fernand Ramacol and this man Rick Blum who had stolen his name. Now, once we made that connection, it was it was various ways. The police um by this stage, the police had agreed. Well, the, sorry, the coroner had agreed to do an inquest, that the, an inquest was warranted on Marion Barter. So that was terrific. So the police reopened the investigation. They say it was never closed, but let's face it. So they reopened the investigation and they found the connection as well as um, as a listener... Um, who went down to the library, um, the local library with the phone number that was in the ad. Now, we we tried several other ways with the phone number, but the post office, or oh, with the post office box, the post office was burnt down and all those records were gone. And, you know, the number in different ways, Telstra, trying to get Telstra to help us. Um, but it turns out um, the local Ballina library, I think it was, had the number and it was connected to this coin uh, selling business. And the man who had used that name, um, Fernand Ramakal, um, fortunately, um, owned this business. And that was how was the connection was made. But of course, by that stage, he was going under the name Rick Blum. And it turns out he had many aliases, um, at least 30, probably 60, probably double that in reality, but we know at least 30 of these aliases.
0: We'll be right back to my interview with Alison Sandy, producer of The Lady Vanishes, after this. Life in the Upper Midwest isn't always so nice, don't you know? But that's what makes the stories on The Vault podcast so darn interesting. The Vault brings you the stories of cold cases, crime, and mysteries from communities throughout the Upper Midwest, using decades of archived news coverage and told by our teams of professional journalists. Look for The Vault podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Now back to Alison Sandy, producer of The Lady Vanishes podcast in Australia about missing Marion Barter. When we left her, Alison was telling us about Rick Bloom, who had at least 30 aliases.
1: Rick Blum is a convicted fraudster. He was jailed in France, so we know that, and we also and he has also admitted to writing ads to lure women um, and lying as part of that as though he's not married with children. People would say that he was the original tinder swindler he and this this part is factual in the sense that he had um, i guess catfished women um, started relationships in in whatever way um usually you know it seems through these sort of lonely hearts ads um and in this day there was no obviously internet or anything and um he started relationships with them they never lasted long and they were all kind of with the same modus operandi you know get them to sell their house move overseas and start a new life just like what Marion was doing. Um, so the connection was there. He admitted that he'd had a relationship with Marion um, around the time that she went missing. Um, he said that she put an ad in the local paper, one of the local papers, <laughs> and um, and he had rang her and that's their relationship started off. But he denies having ever gone to Europe with her at the time and, um, and of course, having anything to do with her disappearance. So, yeah, so that's where we're at now. Um, the coroner's had all the findings. He's been interrogated as part of the, um, the inquest and now the coroner has to decide whether or not she's going to recommend charges be laid against him, whether there's enough evidence. I mean, at this stage... It's a bit different in Australia to the way it works. They'll still be loath to admit she's dead. That that seems to be that they're more likely to have an open finding, say that she's probably deceased, but they don't know. And yeah, it will be interesting to see whether or not they recommend those charges be laid. There certainly is a case. There certainly is um, reason for more investigation. Um, he definitely perjured himself. There were many, um, much information that was said in there that has been proven as false. So um, his wife was also part of the inquest um, and we know of his adult children as well um, and we've had lots of people reach out to us with information. There's there's a lot of information and I know that um, Joni and Sally have been compiling a lot of the extra information and um, they want the authorities to uh, to take it on as new evidence but it's it's weird with the way it works. I don't even know if they're accepting the new evidence that they provided them. It's, it still feels like an uphill battle in, in this case. Um, and having talked to um, you know Americans with their system, it seems like it's not. Uh, there seems to be much more um, aggressive with their um, chasing down people who potentially were involved in these sorts of situations. So anyway, it will be interesting to see what happens from here
0: it'll be very very interesting and again 40 episodes there's no way in this interview with you that you know my dear listeners can get a full picture of this story so all i'm going to say is i recommend all of you to go out and just listen to all 40 episodes i mean if you're driving if you're cleaning your home all i hear is people want more and more true crime content and you know when's the next episode going to come out james well here is what 40 hours of great Uh, content to listen to and in a great example of how a podcast can make a huge difference i want to talk about something a little bit different that you don't get to talk about too often maybe is how has this affected your life personally or these this is three years you've been working on this and it's you know probably one of the well this this must be the biggest true crime australian podcast would that be correct
1: It's one of the biggest. Um, Another one um, which um, your listeners might be familiar with is named Teachers Pet and they just got a murder conviction um, as a result of that podcast. Um, You know, it was a big contributor to it as well. Um, So, that's... um, that's also, uh, and I think that's already uh, going to be a movie or something. So <laughs> it, it, it's quite, it's quite phenomenal. So they're a little bit ahead of us in respect to getting a result. Um, and 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 I look at it, I look at that case, and I look at ours, and I think they have a, a really. I spoke to the detective that worked on that case for our next episode, because I. I wanted to hear how many roadblocks, because let's face it, and you know it as well, there are so many roadblocks you have to overcome to, you know, you you learn to be a lot more patient and um, tolerant, I guess. Try not to let the frustration overwhelm you um, with with all the different, um, I guess, barriers that you come across. And he was really dedicated. He believed in it the whole time. And I think... Um, Sally, having um, you know been on this journey with her, feels a bit of frustration that there hasn't been that law enforcement ally um, in the same way as there was with that one, and that has been tough. Um, and because yeah. because it has been a hard won battle, there seems to be there still seems to be some lingering resentment. I mean, Sally was told at the end of the inquest, basically, that we spent $1 million, 21 days, you know, like all this stuff on this and she should be grateful, basically. <laughs> you know, that that's, you know, if this is as far as it goes, she should be grateful. That was the impression that was oh my goodness. was given. And I think that's really hard for Sally cause, because – you know, she doesn't do this lightly. It, it takes a big toll on her and her family. Um, you know, you're basically putting your life out there, um, open for everyone to to see um, all the different members, and it's just it's so harrowing. And then to be told, well, you should actually be grateful, um, regardless of you know, we've we've put a lot of effort into this, and and you know, to compile all this extra information like her and Joni have, and then kind of, you know, being told thanks but no thanks, it seems to be the impression. It's just it's just um it's really it is, it's really frustrating. So um I have spoken to a lot of other people who are in Sally's boat since. And one thing I have discovered is this is not uncommon. The um yeah. the way families of victims are treated, um, you know, they're seen as such a hindrance and, you know, I think um, a lot of – and a lot of police are great, don't get me wrong, and we've got some really – I've spoken to some great detectives, most of them retired now, who have just been just fabulous with the – you know, and and but they acknowledge as well. I mean, I spoke to one detective who um, there was a a, uh, killing – up in Charleville which is in um, rural Queensland and it was viewed as an accident and he knew that something was wrong but he basically had to fight against the system to get them to take it seriously and then you know he was told he was discouraged basically leave it alone told that um that the most they'd get is a coronial and in the end he, because of his devotion, and I suppose also there was an insurance claim, a massive insurance claim. So he had the insurance company helping fund, I guess, his plight. And he, he was an officer, right? Um, they they found the the husband guilty of her murder. Um, it wasn't an accident, and it was wow. It's just it's just crazy how there seems to be a lot of. Hidden homicide, as we call it. There's been many that now that we look at. There was another one that was a murder suicide involving two best friends, again in Queensland, in Australia, which was overturned after three inquests as a as a double homicide, not a murder suicide, by the friend again, the husband. And it's you know so there's a lot of that, and there and um, there's another one out at the moment called Matty. which is uh, Matt Levison, um, and his parents have spoken about their one. Now he was gay, um, and he got killed by his partner. But again, the family had to basically lead the the plight to um, get that taken seriously. And fortunately, they had a police officer on their side, Gary Jubelin, who um, has his own podcast, "I Catch Killers," <laughs> and he um, and and again, so they got justice on that one. Um but it's just so, and but they were told at the time, you know it, we've you know we we've broken our budget, you know, searching for you know on this case, you know, basically made to feel bad that the police were spending so you know was forced to spend so so much money <laughs> on fighting the killer or, or convicting the killer of their son, oh and my goodness. you know it was it, like the, the the climax of that was basically making a deal with the killer saying he'll get immunity if they tell him where the body is and the family didn't know that this deal had been struck but it had and he did he told him the the killer told him where the body was and um the police were digging for days and days and then eventually um his t-shirt surfaced and they could see it with the yeah the and, and they knew that it was their son and and that was that. And, um, you know, every day he just, this is, these are people's lives. And, and I think that's, I've now become so passionate for this cause. You know, nothing is worse than losing a loved one. My passion for this subject and people, victims of crimes, I mean, I, I like to think I'm a, I've become a bit of a victim of crime advocate as a result of this. Yeah, I'll work on other projects exposing the system. and and how hopefully it might lead to changes in the system and and, um, cases like this to be treated differently. But I also just want to thank you, James, because, I mean, what the work you do and just to have someone you don't understand until you go through it, but, you know, Barbara Cotton, the work you've done there, it's just phenomenal. And um, it's a different world over in North Dakota. Fascinating looking at how things are in America and, and the system
0: one last time to my listeners go listen to the, the lady vanishes podcast um it's amazing and to you best of luck in the future maybe we sh- can talk again
1: absolutely james i'm sure we'll be in touch over many years and um and i'll be following you di- diligently with dakota spotlight and i so thank you so much for having us thank Means you a Allison. lot okay take care
0: you too That's all for this time, folks. Check out The Lady Vanishes anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. My name is James Walner. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications. Find more at inforum.com slash Spotlight. You can follow me on Twitter at Dakota Spotlight, and please consider becoming a member of the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group. If you're brand new to Dakota Spotlight, there are currently seven seasons you can binge right now anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks all for listening. I'll see you next time.